Welcome, football fans. We are on Sunday nights in a series called God's Amazing Grace. And that series is really about the not just the positional grace that we've been given through Christ Jesus, but the practical and also the stories of people from the Old Testament to the New, we'll, we'll get there, I promise, uh, of the people who experience God's unmerited favor in their lives. And so, I apologize, we've got a little technical malfunction, but my clicker's not clicking, so I'll just have to tell you when to advance it, guys. So, it, these, this series is about the uh, everyday practical, and the stories of grace that are found in the Old Testament and the New. Tonight I want to ask you, before we jump right into the text, can you remember a, a time in your life when you were very much in a tough place, uh, where the options before you did not seem good? Could have been in a relationship, a friendship, a career, uh, with your children, with family members, but just try to imagine a time when you have experienced being in a very tough spot. And of the options that you could control, there were very few. And the, the ones that did exist, there were downsides to all of them. That's what we're going to look at tonight, uh, a group of people who are in a tough spot. Have you ever asked yourself or Perhaps ask God in prayer, God, why am I here? Why did you bring me here and lead me to this place? I think many of the people in tonight's story can absolutely would absolutely affirm, although we don't hear of that directly in Scripture, they certainly were afraid and fearful for the tough spot that they were in. If you'll turn in your Bibles, you were going to go to Exodus chapter 14 is where we will be. Tonight's story is about a time when God purposely led His people to a hard place. And that wasn't a bad thing at all. Go ahead, next slide, please. Exodus chapter 14. And because the section that we're going to read is quite large, we're not going to... Tackle it all at once as we normally do and then go through and dissect it. We're going to go through it in chunks at a time, so hope that you'll bear with me in that regard. But we are in Exodus chapter 14, and the picture in front of you is the picture of the Red Sea. Uh, there's lots of pictures of Google in Google Image of the Red Sea, but I wanted to get one that I bet felt best like the image that would have been in front of the Israelites as they came out of Egypt, where God had led them to, and they come to this point where they are at the water's edge. Now, that wouldn't have been so bad. Suppose there are ways around it or getting enough boats, they could have gone through it. But they didn't have those options. And immediately behind them uh, was, were the Egyptians bearing down. As Pharaoh leaves and says, oh, man, Letting all these, this free labor leave the land was not a wise decision. I think I'll go after them. 
They appeared to be wandering and confused anyway, and so uh, this would be a good opportunity to bear down and press forward and bring them back into a land of slavery. If you're reading with me, we're in Exodus chapter 14. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Faharathia, between Migdal and, and the sea, in front of Belzephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Uh, we can look at the verses right before chapter 14 and see that there was they not only knew God was leading them, like we know God is leading us, we believe that, but they could see a visual in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud and that was set before them all the time. And so they, all they simply had to do was literally follow wherever the pillar would go. And the people are going now to turn back and they, they camp here and that doesn't seem to be a problem, as I said, until, until they hear the rest of the story as God brings them to this point of hardship and difficulty. If you've ever been in a hard place and wondering um, why God brought you there, you are not alone. Many people in um, the Scriptures are in a place where God leads them to a hard spot. Go ahead and bring the next slide. Psalm chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. If you're following along, the psalmist says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled. But Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. I can remember a, a time personally when it was the time when grace was being born. And we had been through the hard things, so we thought, with Christie's health. And the baby came, and here we were at the hospital. We had been down this road before. It was very familiar. I remember feeling sort of like we know what's going to happen here. We, we know, we, we expect uh, that this is, you know, we've been here before with Tyler. We trust our doctor. We like the hospital. And as we were in the room, you know, we waited and we waited and we waited some more. And, they, you know, start to get a little concerned. They don't want, you know, baby can't live there forever. Um, so they start putting monitors on and all of that. And as they put on the monitors, the nurse is explaining what each of the lines mean and what they're looking at. And they said, all we're doing is watching. We're just paying attention to the little one and making sure that she's do doing all right. She said, as long as we don't see the line drop in anywhere in here, I mean, just like, like clockwork, at the moment that she said that, the little line began to go 
right down there on the monitor. And uh, she got very focused and very quiet, very fast. And in come other doctors and nurses and specialists and trying to figure out, you know, okay, what's, what are the options here? What are we going to do? Uh, that was a hard place, you know, especially in my position because I'm there for moral support, but in terms of expertise, I, you know, I just kind of found myself slowly being shuffled off back to the corner as, as, as the doctors and nurses and specialists came in. And I remember that sense of being in a hard spot and feeling completely out of control, which is hard for type A's. We like control. And the doctor said, or the nurse, I don't remember, but they said, okay, we're going to take her into surgery. We're going to do an emergency C-section. So you need to get on your garb and all of that and, and, uh, and get that on and wait. And then we tell you, you can go back here by the doors, and when, when we're, they're ready for you, they'll call you back. So I got on my attire. Now, all the, all the while, this is not the plan. This is not what we expected. This was not what we mentally had geared up for at all. And so, you know, I get, I'm all, got my mask on, got my coveralls on, and I'm just waiting. They say, okay, you can go back and wait by the, the double doors, the entrance to the surgery rooms. Now, I know that you know by now that I'm a bit of a, you know, a pacer, you know, I'm kind of a mover when I talk. It's just the way I am. I mean, in my office, when I prepare a sermon... I'll write it down and I'll think it through, but when I'm trying to process it, I walk. And so here I am, I want this picture in your mind of, of a guy who looks like a, a surgeon, but who's not. <laughs> I mean, you could call me in a surgery, but better have your affairs in order, okay? <laughs> so I'm in my surgical garb, and, and I'm in front of these two large stainless steel-looking doors, and I'm just doing this. I'm not practicing for a sermon. I'm having a, a one-sided conversation with God. And it's, it's a lot like maybe what I imagined. I'm not sure if Moses felt this way, but the Israelites would sure get there. Like, okay, God, I trust you. I really do. And, and I, I have no fear. I'm you know, going to have faith in this moment. But God, I really would like to know <laughs> what... what this is all about. What's the purpose of it? I mean, we didn't, if we, if we, why did, why now? Why here? Why this place? Why, I mean, my, my mind is racing a thousand miles an hour and my heart beats following right along. And I'm having these conversations with God. Why would a loving God who has his eye on every sparrow who told us that we are worth more than many sparrows lead us here. I, say, I tell you that story with empathy because you all have been there, I'm sure. If you're a person of faith, at some point you had the pacing with God moment where you don't understand, it's out of your control, you 
fully have to trust him. And there's, it's not doubt, but there's this little thing in the back of your mind that's kind of wondering why. And as the psalmist said, how long? How long? We've all been there if we're people of faith for very long. Would a loving God lead you to a hard spot? And if only by anecdotal evidence, the answer to that is yes. And the follow-up to that is because he loves us very much. God led Abraham up a mountain. He let Joseph go to prison. And he took Israel to the edge of the sea. With chariots and horses pounding and getting louder and louder. He would let Job lose everything but his own life. He let Mary and Martha go to the funeral. And he may have you in a place of, hard, of hardship as well. C.S. Lewis said, Hardships prepare ordinary people for extraordinary destinies with God. It's only in the hard places where we truly begin to understand where it goes from here to here, and maybe it even involves here, God's love, God's provision, and God's protection. Is there any place worse than a hard heart? And I say to you, the only, the only thing worse than a hard place is a hard heart. So, we go to verses 10 through 14. Next slide. When Pharaoh drew near... The people of Israel lifted up their eyes. Behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, this was not solemn prayer. Close our eyes, bow our heads, clasp our hands together. Lord, we thank you for everything. And Lord, be with us. I'm not mocking those type of prayers. I'm saying this moment, these were not those type of prayers when they cried out to the Lord. If you've been in a hard spot, you understand prayer. I mean, you understand it and you get it. Because when you're in that spot where you have no other options and you're crying out to the Lord because your, your life seems in danger, there's a passion, there's a reality, there's a zeal that comes across. And that's what I imagine as they cry out to the Lord. Verse 11. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us, that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Now, this is what happened when, when things go bad, right? I mean, leaders are beloved when things are going well. When you come to a hard place, who does everybody blame? They're looking at Moses. And maybe in their hearts, they're looking toward the Lord. What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not 
is this is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to remain, have only to be silent. They had to stop whining before they could start winning. For people of faith, when we come to hard spots, it's easy to get to a, a point where you are self in a, in a world of self-pity and blame and anger and, and looking longingly toward the past because the past is the time when you didn't have this problem and blaming all the people around you for the problem. And Moses says to them, you got to quit. you got to stop. You're going to see God work today. But you're not going to see him work if you don't stop whining. I do believe it's why complaining and whining and gossip, slander, backbiting, uh, is a much bigger sin than we make of it. We don't see any problem. I mean, on a practical level, I mean. Eh, gossip, yeah, you know, it's not as bad as murder or adultery. I mean, it's, you know, it's just kind of people do it. and No, nah, it's, it's really bad. Because it builds within people this self-pity and this victimism. And Moses puts a stop to that. <clears throat> when we of Adam's race are faced with difficulty and trial, trouble and fear... We default. We default to fear. It, I don't know if that's within our DNA, but it's the natural thing to be afraid when things go wrong. Fear looks like some, you know, people don't, you know, it's not this Kevin McAllister home alone, like, ah, you know, that's not typically how fear manifests. Fear manifests in different ways with groups of people. It looks like gossip. It looks like complaining. Uh, it looks like bitterness and anger and frustration and blaming the leaders. Um, those are things that in this story certainly happened. And in our story can happen. If we're, I mean, I'm not talking just church. I mean, church can, it can happen at your work. It can happen in your family. You've got to be careful you got to stop before you can start. Um, turn over to Ephesians. Keep your, your finger in uh, Exodus 14. But turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> We're going to be in uh, verses 25. 29, rather. Through 31. Now this is how Paul says it. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good is as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, this verse connects to this verse and because they were living that out. Paul calls that kind of talk corrupting talk because it tears down instead of building up. Uh, anywhere you see division and discord and a lack of unity, you see Satan working. And he most often works through corrupting talk. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not preaching a, a sermon to one person here. This is a preventative maintenance type of sermon, you understand. But the lesson is clear that the Israelites weren't going to see God's work of his hands until they shut their mouths and begin to do what Moses and what the Lord told them to do. They had to trust that he, if he brought them to this point, he would bring them to the next point. And that's where it gets challenging, because we have to trust in the Lord. Moses needs them to move from fear toward faith, from troubled to trusting. And the, the problem is... Well, let's look at verse 15 and, and read back in Exodus 14, starting in verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. See, the next point is in order for them to go, they had to stop grumbling. Grumbling kept them from going because they were too caught up in their fear. They were, they were frozen in fear. You've probably heard that term before. Uh, people do get that way, not just in life or death situations, by the way. But people will stop growing in the Lord because they're afraid. People will get comfortable in a box and, and not want to move out of that because they're comfortable and they're fearful of anything outside of that. Um, this is true in all sorts of organizational dynamics, but anytime the the landscape changes and the business model has to change and the way we work has to change, people get afraid because we're in new territory. Now, I'm not. I mean, that doesn't apply to our churches at all. I mean, church would be the same forever. When you grumble, the problem is you aren't going anywhere. You're, you're losing your faith. Well, okay, I apologize. Maybe you are going somewhere, but it's, it's most likely backwards. You're most likely going backwards when you're building up your, your mouth more than closing it and trusting the Lord. Joshua said, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It was a promise he had to remind them of again and again. You have to be strong enough 
to trust God means what he says. And courageous enough to act on it. You see those two things? It's, it's one thing to believe God, but it's quite another matter to trust God. Because trusting means you have to apply to do. A simple example is loving your enemies and praying for them. I love Jesus, I really do, but that's a hard one. It is. I believe that intellectually, he said it. But when it comes to actually doing it, I'm not quite as faithful. I believe him, but believing him is only the first step. Then you have to do what he, what he calls you to do. He didn't get, uh, he didn't just need them to stop murmuring and stop fearing, but he needed them to start moving. You have to be both strong and courageous. It's the offense and the defense, to use an athletic analogy that might you might have seen a little bit of that. You know, see teams with with absolutely no defense, or when they got the offense, they couldn't make a shot. So we have to think about, as people of faith, trusting in the Lord and being courageous enough to move forward. Don't just cry out to Him without being willing to go and to do what He calls us to go and do. Finally, God was both behind them and before them. This is, uh, we're in now verse 19. Then the angel of the Lord who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming from the host of, between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. It lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. Israel had two obstacles. Israel before, uh, behind them, the Red Sea ahead of them. Um, in the same way, not exactly the same, but in a similar way, we all have the same obstacles. We have those things which are behind us, the mistake you can't undo, the words you can't unsay, the sin which is forgiven, but it will be forever burned into your mind, the life you left behind to follow Jesus. These are the things which are behind us, and if we're not careful, the things behind us can ensnare us, but also the things ahead of us, we can be too afraid to do, the call you need to make, the person you need to forgive, the conversation you need to have, the email you need to write, the job you need to quit, the place you need to go. What's ahead of us can be scary. That's why there are stacks of emails in our inboxes. My wife, she's not here so I can tell this story. Whew, when she opens up her email, she has like email that little red icon, you know. I'm a type A. I'm inbox zero all the time. Get it done. Handle it. Delete it. File it. Do something with it, you know. She has 2,537 unread emails. 
How do you live like that? I don't know. Now, to be fair, she she has one inbox and it you know gets everything and junk and all that stuff. But you know the reason that people don't reply to their text messages. You know the people. The reason that that an email never gets responded to is because someone knows they need to do something, but they're not ready to, or they're afraid to, and they just don't want to deal with it right now, or it creates another thing for them to do, and they're just not ready. So things ahead of us can be can trip us up just as much as the things behind us, so we have to have the courage to do what we know to do. Listen to the words of Psalm 139 and catch this phrase. I don't, it just jumped out to me maybe because of this lesson. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. And lay your hand upon me. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That, that with Israel, it was the pillar. And he was, used to be ahead of them and they would just follow. But, but in the moment of absolute fear and wondering, and, and really a literal fear of death, uh, the Lord moves the pillar and stands between Israel and Egypt. You think he doesn't do the same for you? You think He doesn't desire to lead you where you need to go and to protect you from that which should be behind you. Trust Him. He can protect you from both your past and help you forge ahead in the future. Let's finish tonight by giving you three takeaways and then we'll close. Number one, rejoice in the hard places. I really think that this spot, this piece of ground where they were was a place of grace. It was the hard spot that led them to a holy surprise. James says in chapter 1 of his book, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I've heard lots of public prayers in my life in church. Very rarely do I hear someone praising God for the difficulties that they or someone in the church family is facing. Because it seems foreign to us. But James says count it joy because the hard places are actually a place of grace. And uh, this is an encouragement. If you're in a hard space, you are fully primed and ready to receive his unmerited favor. And God has you now where you are to bring you where he needs you to be. So rejoice if you're in a hard place or rejoice when you get there. Number two, resist whining. Look for the opportunity in every obstacle. Don't be an Eeyore in the world of church. Don't grumble over every obstacle, but rather be grateful for every opportunity, every challenge, every new Uh, frontier that we embark upon together. God brings you to the water for the purpose of bringing you through the water. God knew that. We know that because we've heard this story a million and a half times probably. But they didn't know that. 
the water looked like it does in that picture. And you're where you are, and that water looks the same to you. And there's no way on earth you can imagine how he's going to divide the sea and let you walk through. But he will, if you'll trust him. He brings you here so he can bring you there. And finally, remember both shores. They had two shores in this picture. The one they were leaving with piles full of soggy, dead Egyptians. And the one they were, eventually God would get them to. The one of freedom. Our two shores are the things we leave behind and the eternal shore. And we've had a couple of our beloved brothers, Ron and Bill, who are on that shore. And we look forward to meeting them there. It's important to remember both shores, what's behind you and what's before you. He helped you leave the past so that you could focus on the future. And we not forget that God is both behind and before. As we finish tonight, let me remind you that God, many times in Scripture, has used water to separate the living from the dead. In the story of Noah, in the story of Israel that we've looked at tonight, and in the story of us, the water is where separation begins. Don't you know that every time they would pass by the Red Sea in later years, at least for a generation, they'd look out over the water and they'd say, Do you remember what God did there? I'll never forget it. May this water, or wherever you were, begin your journey with Christ be the same. To remember what God did there. The waters of baptism is where death to ourselves begins and where life in Christ is presented. Tonight, if you are ready to put on Christ, or if you're in Christ but you found yourself longing for Egypt, and maybe you need to repent and turn back to Him, whatever your need might be, please meet me down front. We'll be glad to help you in any ways. Together we stand and sing.